right. Well, hold on. That's not the look at and layout I like. Good afternoon, everybody. How are you? Welcome to Simply Cyber Live, the show that brings you industry experts on stage for casual conversations about awesome topics. And today is absolutely no exception. So listen, malware analysis is an awesome skill that anyone within the industry would love to have, especially blue teamers who like to you know d dig in and go a little bit further to understand what kind of artifacts are on their network. But trust me when I tell you that messing around with malware, if you don't know what you're doing, can be very dangerous very, very quickly, right? It can get out of hand, really. So to have access to practical malware analysis training and skill in, in a way that's approachable and practical is absolutely invaluable. And Matt Kiley, our, our guest today, has done that with the PMAT training over at TCM Academy. Now, that's not the only thing that we're remotely going to be talking about today, but it is one of the things that I want to focus on is how practical malware analysis can be useful and how you can you know, basically get involved with it. In addition, and this one blew my mind away, okay? I have certain, I guess, assumptions. Maybe it's because I've got gray in my beard. Certain assumptions about who's doing malware analysis. In my mind, it's blue team only. Red people, you make the malware, okay? The blue, we analyze it. Matt is a red team operator who's got his hands all up in oodles of malware. So I wanna understand exactly what the practical applications are for that because I know he's gonna have them. Now, before we get into it, I just wanna remind everybody, we love taking questions from you in the audience. We want to get as much information out of Matt today as we possibly can and answer your questions. So if you have a question for myself or you have a question for Matt, just drop a cue uh, in the front right? And I will, I will push it off on the side while Matt's talking. And as the opportunities come up, I will pull them in chat and throw them at Matt and he will answer them. I had a great conversation before we got in. Matt's all amped up to get in here and start engaging. So let me go grab him. We'll see you in a second. All right, Matt, how are you, man? Well, here we go, Jerry. <laughs> I know. I can't wait. I can't wait. You feeling good? Yeah, feeling good. I'm doing I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Um, Absolutely, man. And I also I hope you're feeling better. I know you've been sick over the last couple of days, so it looks oh. like you're doing much better. So Oh I'm yeah, yeah. I think I was just bottling up like, you know, like uh, building reserves of energy and then just ex expelling it all at once. So, yep. yeah, <laughs> I appreciate the well wishes. Wow. Now, before yeah, so many I people know. In chat. This is so cool. I'm just uh, very... hey, hey, everybody. Uh, it's it's awesome to be here, and I'm I'm really looking forward to answering your questions. So let's get into it. I love it. So before we get into the the technical and the cybersecurity goo and all that, one thing that while I was researching Matt, aka by the way, if you guys are on Twitter, Husky Hacks, Husky Hacks, um, and we'll get into all that in a minute. But one of the really interesting life things that Matt has done that I'm curious about is hiking the Appalachian Trail. Now, granted. <laughs> He had a little bit of a uh, an issue oh, on the trail, on the trail. But oh. Matt, can you just can you just kind of talk a little bit about what that is from a yeah, from an yeah. experience perspective? Absolutely. Um, so for those who don't know, the Appalachian Trail is a twenty two hundred mile stretch of uh, the eastern seaboard of the United States. It goes from Georgia to Maine, or Maine to Georgia, depending on which way you hike it. Uh, for those who leave from Springer Mountain in in Georgia and hike north are called Nobos, northbound. If you go from Mount Katahdin in, uh, in, in Maine, which is the northern terminus south, you're a Sobo, southbound. I had the pleasure of being a no-go because I set out <laughs> after I, I was staff at MIT Lincoln Laboratory 
I was their lead cybersecurity analyst in their space systems and research division. And right about January of 2020, I decided that this is going to be the year that I achieve my one of my lifelong dreams of hiking the Appalachian Trail. So I set out, I, I quit my job at MIT and I set out uh, in uh, Georgia on February 29th, the leap day, February 29th nice. of 2020, started heading uh, north from that point. And I made it through up into Great Smoky Mountain National Park. I went up into the Smokies and out of cell phone reception at a, around March 10th. 2020 march 10th 2020 mm. for the for the historians in the chat right now who remembers <laughs> when the pandemic of covid19 was declared by the world health organization that was march 11th or 12th maybe i forget which which day exactly i lost cell phone reception came out of the smokies down into uh, uh where i could actually get emails and text messages Next thing I see on my phone is a message from the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, the people that actually do the trail maintenance and they maintain all of the paths of the trail. And the email, it's in that blog post uh, that you fold up right now, but the email basically said, everybody off the trail right now, everybody go home. Um, so we were like, oh, uh, <laughs> that kind of throws a wrench in everything. Um, we go down to the uh, Standing Bear Hostel we are sitting around the fire. We have no information to go off of, but I call my partner, Emily, and she says, Matt, this is really bad. You need to come home. And I'm like, is there any, because this is the first, basically I'm hearing about the, the yeah. COVID outbreak. And, and I'm like, is there any possible chance that this is just a little out of proportion or maybe isn't as bad as people think it is? And she's like, no, not even close. Come home. I'm like, okay, I'm coming home. Emily had seen all of the planning that I had done for, for the AT. It took about three to four years of planning uh, to put everything together. Uh, so for her to say, come home, I knew was basically like uh, break the glass and flip the switch. And, and that was an emergency. So I went home. I rented a car. I drove up the Eastern Seaboard and I was home within a couple of days. Yeah. I mean, a, a huge, huge experience and, uh, you know, unfortunate, you know, obviously like I, I do like that you were able to complete one complete leg though. Like, yeah. one, you know, so there is that if you ever go back, but yeah, what a, what a once in a lifetime experience <laughs> countered by a once in a lifetime catastrophe. Uh, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it was nuts. I mean, um, but just that, so I made it, uh, 275 miles. I want to say if I, if I remember correctly, and that is about four weeks, uh, I think maybe three to four weeks on the trail. And, and even that was a um, just like a life changing experience. Um, and uh, it was really painful. A lot of the parts of it were very, very painful. My whole body was sore every single day. Um, yeah, but my yeah. spirit, my spirit had never been brighter uh, ever. So um, I miss it. I really yeah. miss it. <laughs> you know, a, a good book for people, I'm sure you know this one, Bryson, A Walk in the Woods. Yep, yep um, that's the one. <laughs> if, you, if you're ever interested in in understanding kind of the psyche of the uh, the AT, now, I haven't hiked it, obviously, so I, I'm speaking just from reading the book, but um, it did seem to kind of capture uh, the experience, especially with his trail mate. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks, Matt. I, I, you know, appreciate you sharing that. So let's talk a little bit about malware analysis. Yeah. Okay. So I've already seen a ton of people in chat say that they're either taking your class or they've taken your class and they absolutely love it. One of the questions I had, and we were talking about this before we got on uh, stream here. If you guys don't know, there is a book called Practical Malware Analysis by Sikorsky and No Starch Press. It's a famous book. It's read. It's got an alien bee and kind of, you know, dissected or autopsied. And it is considered the seminal work in the space on malware analysis. Yep. 
I wanted to ask you, Matt, before we get into like why the course is awesome and what people, you know, how it makes things practical, what inspired you to want to even begin to put this course together? What was the demand or the need or the, or the, or the beck and call for it? Yeah, absolutely. It is, let me tell you a quick story. It is uh, 2019 and I am exploring as a, an embedded cyber analyst at MIT. I'm exploring the different options, different paths that I can take to make myself more technically capable. I basically came to a realization and I don't think this is the case anymore. I, I want to be very clear, but I was thinking at that time that I am an embedded cybersecurity analyst, but I don't even really understand how attacks take place at a technical level. And how am I going to defend a network if I don't understand that's the case? Again, I don't mm -hmm. necessarily think that's the case anymore, but this is what I was thinking at the time. This is kind of the, the intro of what where I wanted to begin because I was waking up in cold sweats and I'm like, you know, intrusions could happen on my network and I would have absolutely no idea. I, I could be looking at malware right in the face and I'd have no, no clue. So I began by going the kind of pen test, red team, introductory training level route. Uh, so that's things like OSCP. I took classes at the Rochester Institute of Technology. They had what they call the MicroMasters. Uh, I, it may still be available, but it's essentially a bunch of courses that you can take. Uh, and then you kind of get like um, a, a certificate at the end of it that says, you know, you've done this, this training. Um, so I'm looking around at the different options and, and different things. I also joined VetSec at that time. So I'm, I'm a Marine Corps veteran. Um, there may be people familiar with VetSec in the uh, audience. I know, Jerry, you are familiar with them as an organization. Yep. Oh, yeah. Great uh, organization. VetSec, back in the day, in, in kind of the early stages of VetSec as an organization, uh, I heard of them through the Cyber Mentor, through Heath's, because um, uh, he was one of the original founders. Uh, through his material, he eventually said, oh, hey, and if you're a veteran, we have this community for you. Uh, so I come in and I say, hey, I, you know, I'm an, I'm an analyst at MIT, but I'm not super familiar with how to do a lot of the technical stuff. And, and I'd, I'd really like to learn though. I've done administrative network and system admin work. I know how to set up active directory. I know how to make packets go back and forth, but I don't know the, the, the cyber, uh, kill chain. I don't know technically how to carry out attacks. Mm -hmm. And then, so between the offensive work that I was starting to get interested in and the, and the, the other idea, this malware reverse engineering, this idea caught hold of me and I thought it sounded so cool. And I thought it sounded like something really interesting that I'd want to get into. And I start asking around VetSec and there are some people in VetSec that are, they do this for a living and they're incredibly good at they're They're world-class at it. And they start pointing me at resources, but I was just in way over my head, way, mm -hmm. way, way over my head. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I hit this series of roadblocks that I think a lot of people in, in chat uh, and, and really in the field probably experience, which is um, I'm hitting these very technical subjects that I try to garner some interest in. And then I just find that I'm really in over my head and then I get frustrated and I walk away and I'm like, maybe I'll be good at that someday, but right now it's just not the time. So that goes on for a while. As I develop a better uh, offensive practice, I start to turn my eyes back towards that. Now I'm starting to develop in uh, C, C++, NIM, uh, uh, building programs that can you know, be used to, to do offensive practitioner work. And then I'm looking at malware reverse engineering and I think, okay, I think it's time again, but this time I wanna do it right. And I want to learn it so that I can teach it. I wanna learn it so that I can relay it to the community and make a better experience for somebody that was in my position. Because 
it turns out that when you teach something, it's the best way to also learn that. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, definitely. in addition to this, my job, uh, eventually I moved into a red team operator position and I have a very firm um, philosophy when it comes to red teaming. I do not red team for the sake of red teaming. I red team to emulate legitimate, relevant threats. And so when you think about malware reverse engineering and analysis, you are studying the art of threat emulation and the art of threat uh, presence at the code level, at the at the as as close to the operating system as you can get it. And so, I started to use malware analysis to better refine my red team capabilities. And between that, between academic study, and between crawling malware bazaar and uh, virus total and VX underground and just ripping apart samples, I started to develop this this kind of practice that puts both of these things together red teaming and malware analysis and they're 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 really they have a very interesting synergy to them and so when i take a step back and i i think about why i wanted to make pmat it was to find the people that were in my position and say i want to introduce you to this in such a way that you won't feel like you're in over your head I want to get you up and over that initial learning curve that might be stopping people from entering the field. And I want to show you that these skills have applicability in different areas. They're not necessarily just for defenders. They're not necessarily just for attackers. It's really up to you where you want to take it and where you want to apply them. That's awesome. And I, I agree with you 100%. You said a couple of things there that really resonated with me. One is, uh, like basically you just said, if you can teach it to someone else, then that means you've truly learned it. Which, if if you guys have ever heard of Richard Feynman, who was a well well known um, professor, that was like his methodology, the Feynman technique, right? Mm -hmm. And if you literally can't explain it to someone, that means you don't understand it well enough yourself. Uh, so I love that as kind of a a litmus test, if you will. And the other thing you said, and I, I really feel strong about this, uh, and it's a it's a, unfortunately it's a problem in our industry, but it's gotten better over time. Is you said you approached it. And you felt immediately that you were in over your head. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of times um, people who are new don't understand, like the, the, the material isn't staged in a certain way. So you can get access to the, the, to the final tier three level stage mm -hmm. at tier zero without even knowing any different. And then you immediately think, oh, this is, this is what everyone's talking about. And it's way too complicated. Right. Malware analysis must not be for me or you know, yeah. whatever. It exactly. must not be for me. I, I can't do it. I'm too, I'm incapable of it. And that's just not the case. So, yeah. you know, I feel like, you know, it sounds like PMAT. I signed up for it. I haven't taken it yet, but it sounds <laughs> like you've also uh, adopted this methodology of like crawl, walk, run. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and, yeah. And showing people uh, how, how to do that. Now, another interesting thing you said that I kind of want to uh, dig into that is kind of thought provoking is, um, you know, when I think malware analysis, honestly, I think of specialized practitioners. I've never really thought of it as a complementary skill. For me, I do malware analysis because I think it's fun, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's yep. fun to dig into it and look at it and find it's like a puzzle, right? If you can deobfuscate JavaScript and hook it and stuff like that. But I, I never like, you know, at a at a normal company, right? At my company, I'm I'm in charge of information security and I do blue stuff because we're a small company. Like if I get malware on my network, right? Like I basically just drop it in any run. And mm, right. what is it? Is it a problem? Is it anywhere else on my network? No, move on to the next one or or whatever. So 
I do. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on how people might be able to use malware analysis as a technique in other capabilities other than your traditional security researcher? Yes, absolutely. Malware analysis is, it should not be conflated with the IR process, but it can strongly inform the IR process of how how it takes place and what it should be looking for, right? Uh, and thus the T in, in PMAT is triage. Malware triage is about capturing, immediately classifying, and uh, identifying if this malware is going to be something that's really intense and that we should be throwing a lot of resources at or uh, commodity malware that's probably not, you shouldn't even worry about. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, God, there's so many different things about malware analysis that you can find interesting. Uh, in an academic sense, you can do malware analysis to research how threats are evolving over time. Uh, in a threat intelligence sense, you can track different groups that use malware samples and see how those are evolving over time. I personally don't ever try, I try to stay away from attribution and threat intel. I don't have the uh, training or really the expertise to kind of be uh, attributing things in, in, in a general sense or, or to specific actors. Um, but just in a tinkering sense, it, uh, another uh, excellent example, um, malware analysis and reverse engineering are not really the same thing. You can reverse engineer things that are not malware. You can perform malware analysis without doing the work of reverse engineering. Uh, so if you're just curious about samples, like, like you just said, Jerry, um, you can pick them apart. You can see, okay, well, how was this program compiled and what language was it compiled and what is the structure of the, of the program? You put that into Ghidra or Cutter is my, my uh, personal favorite. And you can see how people are, are writing their code. Um, if it's a C sharp, uh, compiled binary, if it's in the .NET framework, you can re reverse it basically back to its, its original source code. And you can see almost exactly how they wrote it. Um, so if you're, uh, Another really interesting one is if you're a, and this one blew my mind because I was like, I wasn't, I'd never even think on this level. If you are somebody who is interested in software performance, you can write your programs, compile them into a binary, watch how fast that binary is, look at the reversed assembly or, or .NET framework instruction intermediate language. You look at the, the, what it compiles down to and what the operating system sees. And you can look at inefficiencies and look to see where your yeah. code can be run better. That one blew my mind. Cause I was like, that is so far removed from what I would think of like a reverse engineer would be doing to a, a, something of, uh, you know, a sample of malware. Uh, but that's a use case too. So it's this wonderful, interesting little field where if you're, if you like Legos, if you like taking things apart and, and thinking about how they tick, if you like puzzles and you, you're not sure, uh, if you get something and you're not sure how it works and you want to figure out how it works, that's another great, great place for you. Um, and then on top of that, if you get really good at that stuff as a cyber defender, you now know at the code level, at the, 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 what the operating system sees level, you now know how TTPs, how cyber threats are evolving. Absolutely. And another, another like another thing that I would say uh, that feels good when you do malware analysis, again, I, again, I'm making kind of some sweeping assumptions about what your course does, but I, I'm, I'm, I'd be shocked if it didn't do the things that I'm thinking of, right? So one of the things that I found empowering is once you've understood how malware works and you've analyzed it and you understand how to operate inside the room with the malware safely, then when you find malware on a network or something like that, you don't treat it like it's radioactive. I mean, you right. walk right yep. up to it, you pick it up and you take yep. it in the lab. Yep. A lot of people who don't know what's going on and, and, you know, we, 
as practitioners, we actually, I think I did it in the stream already, caution people if they don't know what they're doing to be careful because you can shoot yourself in the foot. Right. But once you know how to handle it, mm -hmm. it's very empowering because, you know, like you, you pull, you download malware to your, to your, to your workstation, you don't run it, but, but you pull it down and then you, right. you know, push it up into a VM or something like that. You're, yeah. there's no problem there. And people are like, oh my God, you have yeah. malware. It's like, so yeah. Um, so safety. So, and, and yeah. this is, this is for my days in the military. This is for my days. I, I, uh, put something on LinkedIn recently about a, an anecdote from my time in combat training. So, uh, and I'll never forget that this happened because I thought, well, in any case, um, at the grenade range of Marine combat training, uh, my instructor took a grenade out of his pouch and just un took the pin out and just held it in front of us while he was giving the lecture on grenade safety. Right now, it was a dummy. It was a dummy grenade. We didn't realize that at the time, but it was it was a dummy grenade. Uh, but he was like, "Okay, this thing is supposed to kill things. If you handle this thing safely, you'll never be in danger of it." And he just held it. If for those, and I explained this in the post, for those who aren't familiar, if you take a pin out of a grenade but you do not release the latch of the handle, uh, the charge does not arm, and you can hold that infinitely as long as you're you can hold that grenade it, it will not go off and i remember that viscerally because you know when somebody pulls a pin out of a grenade in front of you they immediately have your attention right. um but and like i said it was a, a dummy grenade but i kind of carry that with me I, from from grenades to malware if you handle them safely there is no reason to ever be afraid of them and so it is empowering safety is taught in pmat from like the very very beginning and there are just like a handful of safety procedures that you really need to follow when you're you're handling malware. One of them is to defang, de-arm, and uh, password protect and zip up samples while you move them around. Uh, one of them is to make sure that the person who is giving you malware knows to do the same thing. So, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody just sends you a sample .exe, you're like, whoa, buddy, hey, can you password protect that, encrypt it, put it in a zip file, and then send it to me. Um, and and that And the other one is in... In rare instances, are you going to want to be live on the internet when you're detonating malware for the first time? A lot of the time, you're going to want to detonate it in a in the safety of a lab environment with a simulated internet just to see what it does. And then, as you progress in your in your methodology and and as a practitioner, you can then start to uh, peel it back and then see, okay, if we put this on the real internet, what's going to happen? So as long as you adhere to the the basic handling and safety procedures that are taught in PMAT. And you trust and you build that muscle memory and trust yourself and your habits, the same habits that will keep you, you know, moving about your daily life. As you build those habits and trust in those habits, you never have anything to worry about. I've been doing malware analysis for a while now and I've never uh, uh, fallen on my own sword, infected my own PC, uh, anything <laughs> like that. And uh, and because I'm careful, I'm, I'm, I'm deliberate, I'm, I'm, I'm handling things, I'm very um, present and uh, conscientious about how malware is moving in and out of my lab environment. As long yeah. as you adhere to those those procedures, you are you are fine to detonate to your heart's content. Because you respect it, right? Yes, that, I mean, yes. End, that is because yes, and and that is the the just like the grenade in in and holding onto the, the handle, you need to respect the power of what these things can do. The the boss fight, which is the basically the penultimate course capstone, is WannaCry.exe. The it is completely fanged. It fangs out. It is not neutered in any way. It is the live sample that I found out on, I think, the zoo or, or VX Underground or something. Uh, and in certain circumstances, if you were to detonate that on your physical host, there is a, the kill switch domain, which is still registered. But let's say that you were able to, to take that out of the equation. 
Uh, if you detonated that, that would destroy your host. It, it would it would encrypt all the files that you love, and then you'd have to pay some Bitcoin to, to get them back. Um, by the time that students see that in the course, they have built a, a methodology, safe handling. Uh, they've built a practice around making sure that they are respecting the malware as it moves in and out of their uh, lab environment. And they've learned the methodology to analyze it and to see what it's actually doing. Uh, they'll know enough to write the report, and then they'll be able to submit that report. I love it. It's like a true Marine, not only teaching you a practical skill, but, but instilling a philosophy of how yep. to approach something professionally. Yep. Like, love it. Love it. Yeah, of course, well, I'm biased. Like, like this from Anthony Gibbs. Was sweating bullets the first detonation in the course? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Remember what that feels like because you'll carry that with you and you'll remember like just like the first day that I was on the grenade range when I heard that first one go off, they basically line you up like for miles and miles down the road. And then uh, as the day goes on, you're kind of doing your drills and practicing, practicing and stuff. But I don't know if you've ever heard a grenade go off. It's quite loud. So the first time one of those went off, it's like, okay, we're in this. Like this is this is live. This is we're not playing games anymore. Um, remember what that feels like, Anthony. Uh, and 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 build those safe habits, and you'll you'll never have a problem. One of the things you said early, Matt, is, you know, ripping malware apart, going over and over, doing it again and again, ripping all sorts of different uh, pieces, right? Going to different, you know, Bazaar or VX Underground. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm curious because I've, I've, you know, torn, I've analyzed, you know, probably, I don't know, say 50 pieces of malware in my life. But they all, I don't want to say they all seemed uh, different because, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes like, you know, VBA or, or PDF or whatever. But how much of if you were to keep analyzing tons and tons how much of it is um kind of not foundational but like it's repeated or it's the yeah, same commodity skill? commodity yeah, malware. Yeah. versus like you know specialized each time yep um so i mean I, I i you could fill an ocean with the amount of malware that's written every day right mm -hmm. um there is so much out there i would say the vast majority of it is is what i like to call com commodity malware um uh, are, did you see by chance John Hammond's recent post on on Twitter? And he he also posted it on LinkedIn. Yeah, it was um, awesome. Yeah. So yeah, yeah just outstanding. I, I just love I love seeing malware authors run up against people that know what they're doing, and then just are like, well, "What do I do?" Yeah. Um, so it's it's just like a, it's a wonderful little bit of poetic justice when that happens. So to see John Hammond and people have tried to email him and, and message him things before too, and it's always just hilarious how it ends up. But anyway, for those who didn't see it, John um, was almost fished with a piece of malware, commodity malware, that is known as the Redline Credential Stealer. Mm -hmm. The Redline Credential Stealer is a fantastic example of something that is the zeitgeist of the, of the current malware landscape. It is a one-shot malware uh, sample. It does not establish persistence, to my knowledge, although some samples probably do, but most of the time it doesn't establish persistence. It will crawl your file system it will look for any files that you have that have password, uh, docx, doc document, um, uh, wallet, crypto, any of these like key terms. And it will crunch those up and then just blast them off in clear text, not encrypted, anything like that, blast them off to a C2 server. Okay, let's take a step back. What is this malware doing? Well, if you think that you've landed somebody big like John Hammond and like, God forbid, John's keeping like password.txt on his, on his desktop or something like that. But again, people do that. I, I, you know, you're, you're deluding yourself. If you think not John, John probably knows better, but you're like your average person keeps a lot of things like password.txt on their desktop. 
so what this does is it will scrape your uh, desktop for, or really your whole file system for those juicy pieces of information like AWS keys or your crypto wallet seeds or password.txt. So that that's a really good example of like what the commodity malware looks like right now. It's like this one shot tricky stuff. Uh, John's example was a, um, I believe they wanted to send him a .docx.scr. So what that means basically is it said like, you know, take down notice .docx. And then if you're not uh, showing your file extensions on Windows, which all of you should be doing, should go and do your file extensions. Yeah, um, yeah I'm what pulling you'll up, see, like this yeah. is, I don't know if you can see it very well, but I've got, I've got John, uh, John's tweet, like his, you know, his step-by-step -step tweet Yeah, yeah, here. there you go. Yeah. So um, what ends up happening is, and, and in, in another sample that I saw of this recently, um, the file is like, you know, copyright infringement dot docx dot scr. So that extra extension would be hidden if you're not paying attention. Yep. All right. What is a dot scr? A scr is a screensaver file. And for all intent and purpose, it's basically like running an executable. I don't know why the Windows operating system is designed like this. Um, but if you run a dot scr, it's basically just like handing cmd.exe and, and running your, your, uh, 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 sample like that or your whatever program it is. Uh, so that is the compiled program. It's a, it's basically just a, a, an, a, 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 an executable that will scrape all of the information off of your file system. If it has these kind of juicy terms in it, and then just blast it off in, in clear text format to a C2 server. And then whoever receives it on the other end is free to. I don't know, log into your AWS accounts or go steal your crypto wallet or, uh, you know, log into your bank. Um, so that, yeah, that is a good example. Uh, rarely do I see, and they do happen, but rarely do I see these like sophisticated, like solar winsy, like crazy, you know, crazy ninja, uh, crazy malware like that. That's rare. The commodity malware is what, uh, what I see most of the time. That is really interesting. So are you seeing with the, um, like with that, that dot SCR, right? The Redline mm -hmm. Info Stealer. I mean, is the, because if you go on Malware Bazaar, there's like thousands of Redline oh, yeah. Info Stealer samples. So, I mean, is it just the functionality and they're, they're kind of pulling out that, that cradle and sticking it in random stuff or? Yeah. Yeah. So Redline itself, um, is a, uh, it's a, it's like a, a subscription service that you can pay for, right? Uh, so if you're a ne'er do well on the on the you know malware uh, black market, you can go find uh, Redline. You can subscribe and pay for it, and then you can uh, try to social engineer and trick people into opening that malware. So yeah, it, it's the, the homologies are of kind of this this credential stealer, uh, mm -hmm. but there are so many variants, uh, and and. Um, to say nothing of file hashes, there are more file hashes than we know what to do with. But even yeah. just the the, ma the major types, the moving parts are are so varied in in their little details. But most of the time, that the homology of that malware is to be a one shot program that scrapes your file system and blasts off any credentials that it finds. I love it. So, or let me ask you real quick, since you since you have such experience and you have such knowledge on this topic, and you just talked about commodity in the current state. What has kind of the evolution of malware and analysis been like since you've been involved with it and, and mm -hmm. kind of where is it going? I, I don't, well, let me think. Yeah, it's it's a lot of the, I mean, as the as time marches on, we're looking more and more at these kind of commodity samples that are just looking to siphon uh, data immediately off your environments. Um, the type of malware I write to emulate, it can be a little more specified uh, for if if the clients for who 
I'm doing this need a more specific sample that emulates something like Fin7 or maybe a banking Trojan or something like that. Uh, I'll look to see how that type of sample has evolved over time. Um, but yeah, commodity malware has been very similar since I started doing malware analysis. I would say it, uh, most of the time it's scraping data from your file system, blasting it off. Sometimes it installs persistence, uh, when it installs persistence, the, the mechanisms for how it does that have changed a little bit, but most mm -hmm. of the time, it, you know, that that's, that's just a, a very specific TTP that's been shifted. Uh, it installs it in the registry instead of installing it in the startup folder or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, and then the the other kind of half of this is like the the like C2 and uh, uh, agents and things that run that gain access to your system over time, remote access Trojans. Um, so those have evolved too. Uh, the, the sophistication of those, I think, has gone up over time. Um, but yeah, a, a, most of the commodity malware is very much as it was when I started doing it. Have you seen an increase in anti-analysis techniques by threat mm -hmm. actors? I mean, I, I know that some of the more sophisticated APTs will use anti-analysis, which, by the way, for those who are attending that don't know what anti-analysis is, it's it's the malware author puts in malicious functionality, but then they also put in functionality to screw people like Matt over from being yep. able to do his job. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. And so, the, and there's a couple, there's a, a bit of like a, a dialect going on between and all of malware analysis slash malware development and I like to live at like the intersection of those two places, right? So I, I get to kind of look at both sides of the ping pong match. Um, but it's all kind of cat and mouse. It's all back and forth. Uh, so I'll give you an example. So um, one of those redline stealers, I, I reverse engineered a couple of weeks ago uh, with a, uh, a mentee of mine. And we're looking at it. And one, uh, it's a it's a .NET compiled uh, assembly. It's a, it, it, we compile it or we can uh, decompile it basically right back to its source. And it's checking for the existence of a debugger, right? So there is a function in that program that is the only purpose of that function is to identify if Ollie debug or any of the other kind of major Windows debuggers are attached to it and then throws an exception and exits out of the program. So we're thinking, we're taking a look at this and we're like, all right, well, this piece of malware exists on our system. We can introduce bytes. We can introduce strings. We can rewrite. We can patch. Uh, why don't we just insert a little instruction that says we're going to skip right over this? And we mm -hmm. did, and it worked. So that's that's one example. All right, now think about how you as a maldev are, are going to get around that. Okay, well, let's not do any checks for any kind of uh, debugging or anything like that, but maybe there's a kill switch domain. If you can't reach my kill switch domain, I know that uh, the malware is in a lab environment, so I'm not going to fire then. Okay, go to the other side of the, the playing field. All right, well, how do we get around that? Let's emulate internet capabilities uh, so that it, it, it responds. Oh, as the maldev. Okay, well, if you're going to emulate internet capabilities and you're looking for a 200 okay, I'm going to say that anytime that you don't get a 301 redirect, it just, it, it always goes back and forth like this, right? The existence of, or the the um, rise of any run hatching triage malware sandboxes has been really interesting because we now have the capability of looking and uh, analyzing malware in things that for all the world look like normal uh, mm -hmm. workstations, right? And I don't want to give maldevs any ideas, but like, Okay, if I was thinking like a red teamer, which I'm paid to do, by the way, legally, all very ethical, I assure you. Uh, all right, let's corral up all of the IPs for those places and say that if there's ever a point in which I receive uh, a callback from one of those IPs to my kill switch domain, I know that's in any run or hatching triage or something like that. So just like it's it's always this like this just never ending, you know, tide goes in, tide comes out, yeah. tide goes in, tide comes out. Um, 
And yeah, it almost, it almost makes me think of the scene from Heat with Pacino and De Niro ha- <laughs> yeah. having a cup of coffee. Yes, know? yes. Show me what you got. So, well, yeah. so that was the evolution of malware. But I, I was kind of curious about your thoughts around evolution of analysis, too. Yeah, like yeah. Especially well, oh, um, yeah, like any dot run to me yeah. or Intezer's uh, environment or, or triage. I didn't even know about triage. Oh, until yeah. John I Hammond, love, uh, posted I love hatching it. triage. Oh, they're great. If you want a hatching triage account, do plan ahead a little bit. You can't just drop them because they like verify their accounts. So you can't just mm-hmm. drop in and say, I need an account today. Uh, but hatching triage is so good. Um, they're they're running a fantastic program over there. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a big one right there. Um, what's really interesting though is that so uh, practical malware analysis, the book by uh, Mike Sikorsky and Andrew Honig, that's what ten years old at this point. Mm-hmm. The the methodologies still hold up. The tools have evolved. The methodologies still hold up, which I find just absolutely incredible. Um, there are uh, examples of of uh, Mike. Uh, doing analysis on samples back in 2012, 2013, that for all the world with a couple of tool swap outs would look exactly the same as what you're doing right now. Um, so yeah, and I, I said in the course, I focus on methodologies first because tools kind of come and go. But if you can if you can understand the philosophy of how in phases, how to approach a piece of malware and what how you will coax it to tell you what it is doing, um, that kind of methodology looks very, very similar I love the 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 cover. It is it, no it is no accident that that is the cover of that book because malware analysis is straight up. Have you ever played XCOM, Jerry? The, the I, I have game? not. No. Yeah, XCOM is great, and and I I it's it's the it's the metaphor of choice because uh, in XCOM when you go out to fight, basically it's a video game where you're you're commanding a squad as you fight an alien invasion. Okay. And if you if you take out aliens, uh, you can bring them back to the lab and do autopsies on them, and then you get like. Uh, technology out of that basically like okay. your squad gets better as a result that's what i think of malware analysis it's like you're dragging these things into the lab you take the the autopsy equipment you slice into them and then you get better as a result you understand at the code level what this thing is doing all right if i want to defend against that what are the signatures what are the sigma and yara rules i can write against this if i want to emulate this how can i make via python or nim or c how can i make a low fidelity emulation of this malware so that i can go to a client and say we're going to test how resilient your systems are against x x in some cases is ransomware i have reverse engineered ransomware back to its uh, you know what i can until i can tell what the program is doing because a client asked how resilient are we to ransomware and the answer to that question is we're going to find out because it's you never really know until it happens i try to write all the other part of this is that i try to write malware to be as safe as possible even though it's emulating things like ransomware i try to be as safe as i can possibly be existence of and i I add a lot of kind of red team flair to it existence of environmental variables or not not that's a bad term because that's a thing existence of environment things files uh Mm -hmm. a host name a username a domain name if this malware is triggering in an environment that the, this is not the host name, just exit, don't do anything else. That's something I picked up from red teaming that I add into when I'm doing malware emulation. Yeah, it's about nice. being safe. You don't, you don't want to actually be a cyber criminal. You want to emulate cyber crime and see how a system could be resilient to it, but you never want to put undue risk into the equation if you don't have to. And if you can structure yeah. programs to avoid undue risk, then you'll be better for it. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely best practice. And, and just, just so everyone knows this, this is the book. Um, you know, uh, Matt and I were talking about it before the stream started. Um, this is the seminal work in the malware analysis. So PMAT is definitely a great course that Matt put together, but as far as methodology goes, yep. you know, this, this is, that's I'd, I'd be nothing without that book. And it's, it's referenced as one of the resources and references, one of the further readings. I think somebody with zero experience in malware, analysis would be well equipped to go to PMA after the course. Um, and yeah, I highly recommend it. I keep it. I, I have, I bought it. I have the PDF. I reference it very often, probably on a weekly basis. It is good. Oh, different divas here. Hey, Elon. Hey, she said that the book is on sale at no starch right now. Actually, coincidentally. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. So a couple of questions coming in very, yeah. not many, Matt, but, uh, since it's timely, Victoria wanted to know if you've seen any malware that looks at system resources like Ram and storage <laughs> and stuff. I have written malware that has done this. Yes. Because okay. <laughs> I see that in the wild. And uh, so, okay. I'll give you a little trade graph. Here we go. Um, Ram usage, CPU count. And if it's on the windows operating system, look for a very weird, often not emulated win 32 API call. So just pick one, just pick a random one and try to call it with parameters. They don't have to actually do anything. Uh, but that's a really good way to tell if you're in a sandbox or not. And where did I learn that? Cause I learned that by looking at malware that does that. Um, yeah, that that's common. That that's very common. Um, you'll see there are just a you could fill an ocean with the amount of little tricks and uh how to tell if your malware is being executed in a sandbox or in an analysis environment and there are lots of ways around that too mm, i love it those are those are good uh pro tips right there uh victoria actually had one uh, a little while ago but it seems uh germane still yeah, um sure. as far as like you know you pass your uh your course right and i know your course comes with cert certificate of completion mm -hmm. um which, by the way, if I had that, I would definitely put it on my LinkedIn profile, people, because it's, people know what this course is. I think it's worth nine CEUs or CPE. I forgot what the acronym CPE, is. Yes. CPE, yes. Yeah. I think it depends what continent you're in. I think yeah. Europe is CEUs. Yeah. But um, so, anyways, any particular certification um, that you know you might gear someone towards? Uh, um, you know, it's it's tricky to say. Uh, everyone's different. I have had anecdotally, I will say. And, you know, I, don't hold me to this, <laughs> but anecdotally, I will say that students have come to me after taking PMAT. They have gone to the certs that you're mentioning right now. Uh, ECMAP was the specific one in this case. Um, and they said that prepared me really well. Students have gone to other courses, other kind of big name courses. And I'll, I'll, I'll omit them for, you know, sure. <laughs> don't hold me to this, but they've come back to me and they said that course prepared me really, really well for going into, uh, these certifications. Um, I make no guarantees, please. I, I can't guarantee anything. Um, but, uh, it seems like just from the data I've gathered and the anecdotes I've been told from student experiences that it's, it's prepping people pretty well to go to those courses and those certifications. Love it. I, I know, um, you know, he like many of you may know this. Uh, Matt ran the Dollar in a Dream campaign last week, or uh, maybe a week or two ago, where uh, it was a dollar for the course. Huge turnout, lots and lots of people. It almost went. It basically went viral within our within our community. Uh, so definitely love it. Absolutely incredible. I, I yeah. just I couldn't believe it, and um, I just I have so many things to say to the community in terms of just thank you. Thank you for showing up. And um, yeah, it was just unreal. It was unreal to see the response for that.
I'm still processing it, honestly. <laughs> oh, it's, so, it's, it's fantastic. And, and I mean, for what it's worth, and we talked about this on the stream too, like Matt did it first, right? Actually, what, what inspired you to do that, Matt? Oh, like, you really, you want the real answer to this? This is yeah. like, I, this is so uh, um, deep, deep cut. I, <laughs> I listen to a lot of hip hop. J. Cole is an artist that I look up to a lot. And when J. Cole was uh, early on in his career, he put out a concert series where he charged people just a single, a single dollar to come attend the concerts um, because he wanted to give back to the community. And he said, I know a lot of people don't have enough money to come to my concerts right now, so I'm going to bring it to them. And no matter how uh, much money, uh, or to put to phrase it better, even if you don't have enough money to come see me at full ticket price, I'm going to put it on for a dollar and, and then you can come and we can all have a good time. And and if you even think about the the financial impact of that, PMAT is a, has no overhead. It's me. I'm running the show. J. Cole is like a multi-million dollar recording artist. He's got people. He's got teams of people. He's got people that set up the, the sound equipment and the stage and stuff. Um, to, to offer a ticket at a dollar was probably a huge setback financially for that entire operation he didn't care he said he yeah. wanted to do it for the community because that's who made him i wanted to do that for the community i wanted to put pmat out for a dollar because the community made me and and when i put pmat out the the support and the love that i got in response moved me to the point that i said people are out there they're hungry they want approachable accessible and affordable cybersecurity training and that that's just something that that really resonates with me and so i said um i i'm i i don't i don't think i i don't know i can't really articulate why but i just i i knew that uh there would be people out there that would say i can now afford to take this course the other thing that we were talking about me and some of the other uh tcm academy instructors is that um 30 dollars us might be you know a dinner um, maybe not even anymore, but like, you know, a couple drinks at a bar for somebody in the United States, but in the international, uh, in, 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 in the scope of the globe, $30 us could be the difference between, and people have said this $30 could be the difference between feeding my family for a week and taking your course. And I was like, wow, that puts it in perspective. Yeah. And so, um, the the proceeds that I'll get for charging PMAT for $30 versus $1 are not going to affect my life at all, really. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for the money I've made off the course and the support from the community. But like, when it comes down to it, um, you know, that difference is not going to mean much to me. It might mean a whole lot to somebody else who's in another area of the world where the US currency exchange rate is much, you know, much less lenient against their local currency. Yeah, dude, I'm 100% with you. Like, I am I am so 100% with you. And this is why the GRC course is priced at, you know, what you can. It's not it's not to save $29, right? Mm -hmm. It's to to me, it's to it, it's to it's to target individuals, very specific individuals. The single mother of two works two jobs who like wants to get out of the double shift and get a, a corporate job or whatever, but can't yeah. do it because they can't get access to resources and training because it's priced Absolutely. out. Oh, dude, love it. I love and, it. And, so, and I finally found myself in a position in my life where I was like, I think I have enough to give back uh, in terms of instruction capability. I think I have, I got, I got this cool mic. Uh, I got, you know, my, uh, I got my, my VMs all set up and I was like, that now's the time to strike. And, and yeah. um, it did really well upon launch. And then eventually I, I'm looking at the course and I'm like, uh, we could, you know, there's more to offer here. Um, 
so yeah dollar and dream came out of that and i'm just I, i'm blown away by the response anyway i'm sorry i, I no, cut no, you no, off no no, no 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 it's all good dude so anyways like i 100 percent with you and i'm really really glad that you did it i know that the community uh was well received and one of the um byproducts of the dollar and a dream campaign that you run that i know you probably like there's no way you could have expected this i saw it and said oh man like this is cool like i i don't you know i I probably don't need this training. Like, not that I'm like some great shakes or anything. It's just, I don't do malware analysis for profession, but it's a buck. Like that's cool. I'll buy it or whatever. And, and then it picked up steam. Heath Adams put his practical ethical hacking course, which is an awesome course, by the yep. way, yep. Uh, up for a dollar. Cause he said you inspired him. And I was like, you know what? I'm inspired. So I put <laughs> mine up and then Joe hell put his up and then someone yep. else, the Linux one one went up. So it really, you started, I mean, it was a short movement, but you started a movement, man. It was very cool. I, I was I was blown away. I mean, I'm looking at uh, just the the channel when we were talking about this, um, and just one after one, other instructors came and said, "I want to I want to put it up for a dollar. I want to put it up for a dollar. I, I want to put it up for six dollars, and I'll donate uh, X amount to Wysis. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll yep. donate X amount to another charity. Um, and uh, yeah, and 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 but and so like a little behind the scenes there." At TCM Security Academy, all of the instructors have complete ownership of their content. The, the the TCM Security platform is just that, a platform. Heath does not dictate the, the uh, I mean, he, he dictates the price. The, the price of the, is yeah, yeah. what the price is for normal MSRP. Um, but he doesn't say when it goes on, you know, or let me put it to you this way. He can put a sale for the entire site, but he, we can also put our own content on sale. And he says... Matt could give his course away tomorrow if he wanted to. We, we He maintains the ownership. He maintains the rights to it. So none of the instructors ever were were obligated to do that. They all did it, and and you did too, Jerry, of your own volition because mm -hmm. of the community. And that's insane. That that that's just like coming out full force in and and trying to to put a dent in the universe in terms of being a, an instructor or somebody who's put content together. Uh, and giving it to the people and giving it back to the people for for an affordable amount. It's, yeah. It blew me away. Again, I'm still processing it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and just, just so people know, um, it, like in the description of this of this stream, there's a link to Matt's course, the one that we're talking about. If you want to go to it, there's a link to all of TCM Academy's uh, course curriculum and stuff like that. So if you, if you want to go check it out, uh, there's a link to it. It, it's awesome. It is very awesome. Um, I, I do want to uh, kind of step back a little bit, Matt, and get your thoughts on this because practical ethical hacking, practical malware analysis and triage, even even practical GRC analyst. Um, I, I feel like the GRC analyst, like GRC gets such a bum rap as being like not I mean, allowed I, at the I was table. In, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, like a big part of my time at MIT was in a GRC role. I was so like I was a technical specialist, though I didn't feel very technical at the time. The other part of my job was NIST 853, uh, yes. our risk, risk management framework. It was it was uh, looking at the overall cybersecurity risk policy, looking at the places, poeming items that we didn't have in place at that point. That was like a huge part of my like you know coming up in my career. So I have a huge, I, like crazy respect for it because it, it's, it, um, I think you said this in one of your podcasts, in the absence of better in information, the user is going to do what they want to do. And yeah. so like GRC yeah, yeah. is the, is the system in place to stop that from happening. 
Oh yeah, all the simply cyber people are probably like, "Oh my god, Jerry's glowing." Yeah, I love some <laughs> GRC, and I, what I say is, everybody want like most people want to do the right thing, but in the absence of information, they'll make what they think is the best choice. Exactly. Which, yep. which, <laughs> which is oftentimes not a good choice. So, uh, <laughs> GRC but, is boring. Uh, so Samad says GRC is boring. I'll tell you, GRC is not boring when the thing you're doing on is a multi-billion-dollar radar. When like guys with you know men and women with you know multiple PhDs are sitting at the table asking you, all right, Kylie, what do we do about this? And you're like, yeah, uh, we put it in the poem. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, don't know. It, it, and the people in the field who are depending on that radar not being compromised. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, but I wanted to take a, a step back really quick and just talk about the value of practical training because there mm. there's a large argument in our not argument discussion in our industry, higher ed. Um, which you and I, you know, have higher ed experience, um, certification, and then practical hands-on skill. So, you know, your, your program is definitely a practical, uh, applied skill. Uh, we talked about a couple of other ones. Uh, what are your thoughts around the value in the current modern industry on practical cybersecurity training? It's, it's the, um, I don't want to say it's like the thing it, it is, it is one facet of the recipe that if you want to be someone who is a practitioner, uh, you'll have to uh, spend cycles learning, right? And it's it's coming up in the industry that's by no means uh, saying that everybody has to be practical, hands-on keyboard, writing the code, uh, doing the CICD development. Um, but if you enjoy that work, practical training is, is an absolute necessity. I love it because that's what I love doing. Not everybody mm -hmm. needs to do that though. There are plenty of cybersecurity positions that don't require uh, technical skills. Um, uh, there are plenty of cybersecurity profession, uh, positions that require, um, you know, you to understand the, the law, right? Cyber law mm -hmm. is, is completely non-technical, but I mean, and maybe that's not even the right way to refer to it. It's probably extremely technical, just not in the way that I think of the technical, right? GRC is probably extremely technical. It's just not in the way that I'm familiar with the technical. So yeah, wherever, if you want to be a practitioner, if you want to be a hacker, if that's even, I don't even know how to use that term anymore. <laughs> um, if you want to be somebody who is uh, a, a doer, a maker, um, I personally don't want to really be a manager or leadership or anything like that. I love to be in the, in the, in the, in the weeds, right? Um, if that's what you want to be, then practical training is going to get you there at, at a certain point. You can only learn so much theory and practice before you take your hands, put them on the keyboard in my case, or in somebody else's case, uh, open up NIST 853 and learn the controls and learn the mitigating factors. Um, so yeah, but the, the, uh, the, 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 um, I can't think of the right word, like the meteoric rise of like these awesome, like online training courses that teach you how to build a lab, how to do practical ethical hacking for affordable. I mean, that, an affordable price. That's just like, that's one of the coolest things that I've seen in the industry happen. Um, so yeah, for, for somebody like me, for somebody who enjoys the, the technical work, uh, that's, you know, you can teach yourself basically everything you need to know with these kind of like smaller, cheaper, practical courses. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I think in our industry, in the current state of things, especially with access to cloud ranges and stuff like it, it the value of practical hands-on skill is is unbelievably valuable right now yeah. because you people need you to be able to come on and do the work. Yeah, and, and it's never been more accessible, and it, it's only going to get more accessible and cheaper as time goes on. 
Um, so it's it's such a good time if you're if you're interested in becoming a practitioner, which is my term that I use for the kind of work that I do: red teaming, writing malware, uh, malware analysis, uh, uh, that kind of work. Um, those courses are are readily available. Uh, I can give you some recommendations offline <laughs> if you'd like. If you want to email me or or, or uh, message me on Discord or something. Um, yeah, I, I, it's a beautiful thing because uh, you know. Far, I, I think the days of paying four figures for training that is theoretical and then has like a lab at the end are, are coming to a close. And I'm, I'm kind of glad to see it. I agree a hundred percent. Like I even kind of rail against boot camps, honestly, um, which is a whole different thing, but most yeah. boot camps <laughs> I rail against. So I, I've never taken a boot camp. I, I don't have an, an opinion on that, but yeah. Um, are well, there, are there any, are there any other questions? I wanted to make sure that I got to. I didn't see questions. too many other ones. People, I mean, people have just been kind of sitting back, absorbing everything that you've been saying, honestly. <laughs> I, I, I can appreciate that. Um, what I told Jerry beginning, uh, he, he's an he, excellent host, by the way. Thank you for oh, having thank me you, on. Matt. Thank and he you. makes, he makes a point to ask his, um, the people that come on, what's a, what's a win going to be for you for this, this interview? Um, I hope I'm not giving too much of the inside baseball here, Jerry. No, um, no, but, but uh, <laughs> I, I have never disclosed that publicly. Okay. Not, that not that it's a secret, but I do always ask well, guests what would yeah. be a win for them. So, yes. um, so I said, I want to answer your questions. Um, I want to make sure that you walk away from here. Uh, if you had a question that you had it answered, um, and if I didn't know the answer, that I would get the answer to you at some point. So if anybody else has any questions, please uh, let me know. Um, Sorry for revealing the the the, the look behind. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, so I guess I'll just tell Chad since it's it, you brought it up. Like, so for me, um, for me, I always want my the audience to get value, which is implicit because we're bringing a guest on who's going to talk about something. But for the for the guest, I want them to make sure that there's value for them, and I want it to be crystallized in what would be a win for them. Uh, and you know, a lot of times people say the same thing that Matt said when he came in. He said, "I want to be able to give." to your community, whatever answers they want. I want the, I'm passionate about this topic and I want them to know as much as um, they, they want to know about it. So uh, if you have any questions, definitely drop them in here. I don't think my guest button works, uh, Ben, sorry. Um, LinkedIn user, which is an anonymous, what are your thoughts on sandbox evasion? I do them all the time. Um, they're varied in their, in their technical details, but they all have generally the same, uh, um, they all generally kind of do the same thing is to make sure your malware doesn't detonate inside of something that you would assume a blue team has set up to capture it and study it. Um, and I get, I could go into more detail. Um, that, but yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with writing the writing malware to evade sandboxes and therefore I know what to look for because I studied malware, found those techniques and then started to learn how to implement them. Nice little right. feedback loop there. No, no, it's all good. So, hey, we're going to be doing like lightning rounds. Yeah, so let's I guess, do it. Lightning I, rounds. I, I, I guess I was holding chat back or something because now they're coming full force. Okay, this so is, here. I love, shout out to the Taggart Institute. So, hey, Taggart. <laughs> um, wow, what a question. Uh, how do blue teams respond to your alignment of real threat behaviors uh, to your tactics during engagements? Um, varied. Uh, and I try to make things as cl as close to the, as close to the real thing as possible. And a lot of the time they're, they're absolutely, their jaws hit the floor when they look at the kind of like technical information that I can, I can give them in the debrief. And then every single time they ask me, how do we look for this? How do we find this? And I tell them, I, I give them exact breakdowns of what, what IOCs, indicators of compromise you're going to look for, for this, what the TTPs translate to as in, in terms of uh, uh, network activity or host-based activity. And they're incredibly uh, um, appreciative of that um, after they get over the shock, I guess. 
<laughs> I love it. Next one, I'm throwing it up on stage yep. here. Procmon. Procmon. Um, Procmon. Okay, file creations, file uh, uh, registry creations are probably the big the the big ones. Registry queries, um, DLLs that are loaded. Um, uh, Procmon's so powerful. Use the filters in Procmon. If you do anything, just just hammer those filters with Procmon, uh, and 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 you'll you'll never go go wrong if you stay in there. Um, all right, next. What's your uh, favorite? You said you said you said Ollie debug and one other one that you like. Oh, to use Cutter, there. Cutter, yes, Cutter. Um, I will use Gidra sometimes. Uh, Cutter uses the Gidra decompiler, and it's like very nice and ergonomic, and it's open source software. Uh, it's developed by the the people that develop Ryzen. Um, so I I like to shout them out at all times that I can. Um, so Cutter, it's an excellent program, and it just looks really nice. The dark theme of Cutter is just chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> I do love that. Isn't it Ninja? Yeah. Is it Ninja Binary? Um, or... Let me think. Or, or uh, Binary Ninja? Yeah, Binary I, Ninja. Yeah. It's but been that's, a while yeah. since I used it. They have look a dark up, mode. Yeah, look up uh, Cutter and Ryzen. Ryzen is their debugger. Cutter is their decompiler slash disassembler. Okay. Uh, Aaron KG, I don't know if you know what this is. This is actually a company I work at too. Uh, fun fact. I went to the MIT uh, Applied Cybersecurity Summit and Clint did a... Um, uh, like a, a, a demo of it. This was years ago. And he said, okay. oh, oh, and we're coming out with this video game pretty soon. We're in beta right now. It's called Threat Gen. That was the first time I heard about it. I was there, oh, in, yeah. the room. I was there in the room when he when he announced that at, at MIT. Oh, that's um, so you're OG. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never played it, but it looks really fun. Yeah. Well, maybe we can set it up one time. Uh, it's come a long way. So I'd love, um, let me know. Let me know. I'd love to. What should be or what would be some industry names for professions that include malware analysis? So like some, if, if you get the skill and you want to work in the industry what kind yeah, of jobs yeah. i mean like again you're never going to go wrong Cybersecurity engineer research engineer uh malware analyst reverse engineer um uh, th threat intelligence um yeah i mean uh and like i said dfir and and malware analysis should never be kind of conflated but you can you could market yourself having really uh, uh good malware analysis skills as kind of more into the dfir space um, so, but yeah, you should, you should never think that malware analysis is a replacement for proper DFIR procedures. That having been said, one is going to help you in the other and vice versa. Uh, shout out to Husky Hacks YouTube channel. Kimberly just subscribed. <laughs> Thank uh, you. So, Thank you. All, so all, definitely all five check. videos, one of three of which are memes and, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely check it out. Are you going to add more content it. up there? Uh, I, I'm, I, I go at my, my own pace. I, I'm not, I am. I'm not trying to be a prolific content creator. I do it when I have something to say. Um, so uh, yeah, over time I will add more things, but I'm not trying to go for like a weekly or a bi-weekly release or anything like that. Uh, all right. Oh, hold on. So next question, then I'm going to get to Jay Smith's comment here. Um, can you propose a malware analysis process? This is going to be very, uh, and like I said, I'd be nothing without PMA and, and Sicko's book. Um, your four foundational phases of, of analysis, which are taught in PMAT, um, Immediate triage and identifying, and this is kind of before the four phases, immediate triage and identifying if this malware sample has been seen in the wild. If it has, go track down that information first. If it has not, basic static analysis, basic dynamic analysis, advanced static and advanced dynamic analysis. That's roughly the the the, the cadence, the, the methodology. Um, and then depending on the type of malware, the class, if it's a specialty class of malware, you're going to vary up your methodology a little bit. Um, that would be the like very, very high level, uh, you know, there's a lot of detail to that question, uh, that I have to omit for, for brevity. 
Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, that is that's basically the PMAT course, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, take take PMAT, I guess. <laughs> so, so, so Jay Smith threw this up. Now, this isn't a question, okay? I want to preface this. He said, "Any yeah. chance of satisfying my logo obsession?" I do a daily threat briefing every single morning, okay, Matt? I, I don't know if you know this, but for forty five mm -hmm. minutes every single day, I go on. Okay, and whenever there's a new major vulnerability or you know, you know, whatever, um, it seems that if it gets a logo mainstream media flips out about right. it and some, yeah. sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's like hertz bleed which is like this fringe case that yep <laughs> so felina yeah felina i love it did not get it. a didn't get a logo it kind of did did you see um kevin beaumont's article about it <laughs> no i didn't uh, kevin always he came up with log for shell too but but it, his i mean it's very very self-referentially ironic, but Kevin came up with a logo for it and it is unbelievable. It's very All right. funny. I should have assumed you, he would have gotta you've gotta find his his original blog post about it and you'll see what I mean when when I say it's self-referentially ironic. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'll check it out. It's just like for me, for some reason, I lose my mind when like basically if it's a really bad vulnerability, like a like a like a 10.0 or 9.8 or higher, right? And but like it's not getting the mainstream traction that it really needs, uh, and and I'm I'm convinced it's because it doesn't have a logo. Mm -hmm, like in, right. in in medium outlets can't pick it up, uh, and it just bothers me, right? Yeah. So it, it's like Jay Smith's like pushing my button basically right there. <laughs> uh, PMAT has a logo. It's in the PMAT labs. It's a it's the bug under the microscope with the uh, with the ones and zeros in the in the center of it, and it's got little horns. Nice. Okay. Logo. See it's... logo. It's branded. We could talk about it. I like it. Uh, Secret Society wants to know what would be the best route to take so someone new trying to get into malware analysis or ethical hacking oh, fundamentals. Wow, whoo, that's all right. You got time, sit down. Um, yeah. We got we got a lot to cover. Uh, if I could summarize it in like three bullet points: um, strong understanding of the fundamentals of of computer networking and and what and how hosts think, how how computers think. Um, then. Uh, understand how vulnerabilities occur why they occur understand the the like the precedent conditions necessary for vulnerabilities to occur and then start to look at exploits and then start to learn the attack chain um <clears throat> excuse me and then think about things like uh how, how do i carry out a cyber attack uh how do i apply how do i identify exploits against a certain target and then how do i carry them out um, but wow, that's a, that's a very broad broad question. I don't think I even did it close to justice in that answer. But <laughs> um, no, it, it, it is. But it's it's enough to wet the palate, right? To to go yep. on and uh, dig in a little bit more. While you were talking, I went and looked at Beaumont's uh, Felina vulnerability yeah, you, logo. You so, get it right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right, so guys, we're we're a couple. Yeah, minutes we're over time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to be respectful of Matt's time and of all of yours. Um, the PMAT course, all the training. Um, I, I don't know if I have links to Matt, but if you go to Matt Kiley on LinkedIn, uh, it's this logo. That's his profile for on LinkedIn. You'll find him. Okay, Husky Hacks on Twitter. Hus uh, at Husky Hacks MK. Yeah, I have to. I'm sorry. At, at Husky, Husky at Husky Hacks is a deactivated account. I'm trying by divine right of succession to like claim that as my own, but I have had no luck yet. Um, yeah. So I'm at Husky Hacks MK. Okay, so ask at. You'll you'll know it's him because it's this logo on it's you the, see yeah. the, the 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 pink uh, or what is that pink or maroon? Yeah, it's like maroon yeah all right maroon. um husky in the hoodie yeah yeah the husky in the hoodie all right so that that's him so connect with him if you don't have his course already go grab it it's it's down in the show description but Matt what I always like to do is give the floor to my guests and let them 
you know, basically uh, say whatever they want. And, and, you know, if you want to trash the interview, that's okay too. It's, <laughs> it's your floor, right? You do you. Well, um, Oops, so, that's not uh, the right one. I'm that sorry. is my face. <laughs> um, hey, Jerry, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, I, I'm not going to plug the course. I'm not going to plug my content. I'm not going to plug my Twitter. Um, what I will say, because I rarely ever have a chance to address the community directly. How are you doing? I hope you guys, you all are, are okay. Um, please take care of yourselves. Uh, stay in the fight, you know. I'm, 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 I have no words. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here, but I, I hope you're doing well. Um, thank you for the support that you provided me during, you know, Dollar and a Dream and PMAT and everything. I, I, I'm again still processing how many people came out and supported me. Um, but I, I care about you. I care about your health, uh, and I hope you're doing okay. Um, and thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. Really, really great great contributor to our industry and a community leader. And for someone who cares about community, it's obvious that you are genuine in that, in that mission statement. So thank you for all you do, Matt. And thanks for being on our show today. Thank you. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's send Matt off. Before I go, people, I just want to tease a little bit on what's going to be coming up next week. So next Thursday, our guest is going to be Irfan Shaquille. I, I believe I said that right. Um, he is actually the VP of training and certification over at OpSWAT. Now, what's really cool about OpSWAT is they have this subsection of their of their business called OpSWAT Academy. And it's basically, it's it's not basically, it's free training specifically around critical infrastructure cybersecurity skills. And this isn't just like OTICS training. It's really around what is critical infrastructure, how critical infrastructure fits into the overall kind of United States um federal ecosystem, if you will, and then how you can get trained up for free and get the skills to understand how to help defend critical infrastructure and then ultimately go on to get a job. So if you're interested in learning more about what is critical infrastructure, how you can protect critical infrastructure, and then obviously how you can parlay those skills into opportunity, definitely join us next week. I, I'm very excited about it. I'll be, I'll be talking about it on the morning stream uh, all next week as well. Guys, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being very respectful, asking great questions. I hope you got real value out of it. If you did, hit the like button. You know, that the algorithm always loves that. But otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow at 8 a.m. for the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. Take care, everybody.